We at Lamb and Lion Ministries are constantly bombarded with questions about Bible prophecy, and we welcome those questions. In today's program, some Bible prophecy experts are going to join me in responding to some of these questions. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm delighted to have a special guest with us today, and that's Gary Fisher. Gary is the founder and director of Lion of Judah Ministries in Franklin, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville, right? Right. Well, we're glad to have you down here today, brother. I feel very much at home. You Thank founded you that life. ministry like 21 years ago. 21 years. And to help me interview uh, Gary, we have with us Nathan Jones. Nathan is our web minister and also uh, our associate evangelist here at Lamb and Lion. And I want to jump right into this, guys. Uh, today, uh, I think some people are reading headlines into Bible prophecy, which is always a problem. Yeah. And uh, with respect to Muslims in particular, because of the ascendancy of Islam in these days, uh, once the communism collapsed, the, the void was filled by Islam, we have a lot of, uh, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but we have some Bible prophecy teachers who are beginning to say, you know, we think the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim. How about it? Is the Antichrist going to be a Muslim? Well, according to Daniel 9.26, uh, the Antichrist will come from the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. We know from history that was the Romans and the fifth legion of the Romans. So, uh, if you want to take that literally, it, it insists that it comes from Rome and possibly even the literal city of Rome. Yes. So, uh, the, uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Yes. in fulfillment of that prophecy. And it says the Antichrist is going to come from those people. Now, they would respond to that by saying, well, we think those legions were made up of people from the Middle East and uh, not really made up of Romans. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not well, it's right. Not true. <laughs> no. And furthermore, you know, yeah. my response to that was even if it were true, it was the Roman government who had those troops sent there. They were under Roman leadership, yes. and it was Roman decision to destroy the city and all. Yes. But it really was. They were made up of Romans. Yes. Well, they adopted uh, or, or conscripted people along the way, but the majority of the army was still Roman. It yes. was the 5th Legion, and they're the ones that were responsible for the destruction. Well, sometimes they say, well, uh, you've got to consider the fact that the Roman Empire ended up being two divisions. There was the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire, and so that could mean that a Muslim could be the... Uh, uh, the Antichrist because of this Eastern Wing. But what they forget there is that Eastern Wing developed long after 70 A.D. Absolutely. It, it wasn't there in 70 A.D. Right. Go ahead. Well, I, I find a hard time believing that a Muslim will be the Antichrist because there are some prophetic wars coming up that will basically destroy Islam. I'm talking about the Psalm 83 war where Israel subjugates the neighbors directly bordering them. And then the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, better known as the Gog and Magog war. And that's where Russia with an Islamic coalition, Iran, the Stan nations, Libya, Turkey, they all get together. They all come to try to destroy Israel, and God steps in and destroys them all. Now, if we're at the point where that's, and all the timing signals look like that happens before the tribulation, then how can Islam, which will no longer be a major player in the world, produce the world leader? Well, but, absolutely. And uh, excuse okay. me, uh, if that occurs, if the uh, 
Ezekiel 38 occurs either before the rapture, immediately after the rapture, the beginning of the tribulation. This Antichrist guy will not have a Muslim army to command. That's a, that's a point. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got Psalm 83 war. Uh, that destroys all the nations right around Israel. Then you've got the Gog and Magog war, and that's the nations out. You're not going to have any Muslim army left in the Middle East right. when the Antichrist comes on the scene. So, uh, And then, you know, there's another problem, too, and that is that... Uh, these fellows always talk about how this Islamic um, uh, Antichrist type figure is going to unite the whole Muslim world and they're all going to be uh, uh, slaves to him. And so, well, hey, that violates the scriptures. The scripture says that the Arab people are going to be a people who are always against each other, always fighting against each other. And they have throughout history. The Shiites and the Sunnis hate each other with a passion. Nobody's going to unite those two. Well, plus, plus the Antichrist is supposed to walk into the temple, desecrate it, and declare himself to be God. Now, that is absolute taboo in Islam. You can never claim yourself to be God. It's an instant I think death that's sentence. the strongest argument of all. Is yes. It, it, yes. Any, any Muslim who would declare himself to be God would be killed immediately by the Muslims. Right. <laughs> exactly. But we're still dealing here with another issue. Uh, is it Jehovah or Allah? Which God does he declare himself to be? If he declares himself as Allah, there's no Jewish temple going to go up there and worship Allah. Uh, so, how does that play out? That's interesting. I never thought of that. Yes. Yeah. Huh. And also, it says the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty that's going to guarantee the safety of Israel for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. You think the Israelis are going to put their faith in a Muslim Antichrist? No. No, I don't they've been so. burned. Not too many the Israelis times. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting how we we look at Bible prophecy through the lens of news and not through the lens of the Bible. That's it's right. we've got it. We flipped it over, and point. everyone is really jumping on that train. Obviously, Islam is rising, right. but Islam's days are really numbered. Yeah. Okay, uh, a number of very prominent Christian leaders <clears throat> have recently taken the position that the church is going to conquer the world. <clears throat> in fact, one of the most prominent Christian leaders in America has taken the position that he has a peace plan called P-E-A-C-E. It stands for, I don't know what the letters exactly stand for, but this plan is going to allow the church to take over the world and uh, then I guess we'll have the millennium and the Lord will come at the end of that time. You know, this is just a revival of post-millennialism, which died out at the end of the, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century and now it seems to be coming back. What do you think about this concept? I think it's nonsense. Uh, the church has had 2,000 years to try to do this. Yes. Uh, so when are they going to get started? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the, the main point I think is the church was never called to do this. The church was here to occupy until Jesus comes. Yes. Jesus is the king, not the church. The church is not going to rule anything. Jesus is going to be the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and the church is here to be ambassadors for him until he comes. Right. What does an ambassador do? He is from one country representing the values of that country in a strange country. Uh, eventually we'll be united in our own country Behold. here uh, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's also a view of a church kingdom. The church is going to rule the world and, to, and, and, and make it ready for Jesus Christ to come. He comes after, the, not before. Uh, but the Bible says this is going to be a Jewish kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to regather the Jews from all over the world, reestablish them in Israel, Amen. and they're, they're going to be Jewish believers. Absolutely. And he, through them, is going to flow of blessings to all the nations of the world. But this just rules the Jews out completely. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this Amen. kingdom now, or dominion theology, as it's called, it assumes that the church is getting bigger and bigger, and the world is getting better and better. And while the church is growing, it is certainly not taking over the world. Of course, we're seeing comp- competition with Islam and other religions. Atheism is growing. Yeah. So you can't look at the world today and say the church has taken over the world because it goes against totally what's happening. Well, it, it, this is a, a, a theory and philosophy and doctrine that was completely uh, proven false in the early 20th century. At the end of the 19th century, mm-hmm. most Christian leaders, <clears throat> both Protestant, Catholic, all took the position that the 20th century is going to be the century of the church. The church would conquer the world. The church would reign for a thousand years and Jesus would come. Almost everybody was post, uh, post-millennial. Then suddenly we had World War One, the Great yes. Depression, World War II, yes. and you couldn't find one of these guys anywhere. It reminded it, us it, that man has fallen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can, and and now they're right. trying to revive this again? <laughs> yes. It's right. great for missions. Churches love this, I think, because they see themselves as their church is an important cog in the missions wheel. It produced great missions work in the 1800s, but it's not biblical. But Je- it's in- Jesus in His own teachings yeah. pointed out that the vast majority of mankind will always reject the gospel. Sadly. Christianity will never take over the world. He's going to come back. He will take over the world. He will reign. Mm-hmm. I think the church in the meantime ought to stick to what Jesus told them to do. Go out, teach, make disciples, and baptize, and wait on me. Yes. Well, Phil is one of the most popular Bible prophecy teachers on the scene today who has great outreach, is teaching and taught for years that we are in the midst of the tribulation right now, and that um, he, in fact, is going to go to Jerusalem himself, and he is going to convert the Jews, and he's raising money right now to build a headquarters in Jerusalem. What about it? <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> it's laughable. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, first of all, or if we're in the tribulation, where's the Antichrist? Because that's one of the first things that happens in the beginning of the tribulation. And how could we have been in the tribulation for the past 50, 60 years? We're supposed to be seven years. Absolutely. And, you know, in the first few months of the tribulation opening, we have half the world's population dying. When has that occurred? See, this is... This, this is, is what happens when you start interpreting prophecy symbolically. Yes. Yep. It's exactly what it is. And, and there's this, this... I know this teacher that you're referring to, and it's... Uh, there's a certain arrogance involved here for him to think that he's going to go over and teach the Jews and the Antichrist is going to leave him alone while he's murdering all the other believers in the world and the Jews are running for their life. So how are they going to be in a Bible school in Jerusalem? Uh, you really getting worked up about yeah. it. <laughs> I have, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nathan, any comment? Well, I looked out the window today and a third of the trees weren't burning. The water wasn't filled yeah. with blood. There weren't dead bodies. No one's trying to make me get 666 on my right hand or forehead. I mean, those are everything that's supposed to happen during the tribulation, and it's not happening. It is just obvious from reading the Bible and taking a literal interpretation that we are not living in the tribulation. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion of prophetic issues from a biblical perspective. And uh, we have with us uh, our dear friend, Gary Fisher of Lion of Judah Ministries in Franklin, Tennessee. And Gary, we're glad to have you. Thank you, Dave. Great to be here. All right. I want to jump into this by asking a question about the rapture. The pre-tribulation rapture concept is the idea that Jesus will appear uh, for His church 
before the tribulation begins. And take the church out of the world, both, both the living and dead, will be in heaven with Him during that terrible tribulation period, return with Him at the end at what's called the second coming. Now, critics of this viewpoint often point out that that developed in the early 1800s in England and that therefore it is too new to be true. It's just a doctrine that's too new to be true. If it were really true, somebody would have thought of it long before then. So what about that, guys? Well, first of all, they can't prove that it's new. Second of all, it's irrelevant if it's new. Because Bible prophecy itself in Daniel 12 says in the end times they will start to understand biblical concepts that we have never understood. That's a good point. So, uh, but it's irrelevant uh, whether it's new or not. The real point is, is it in the Bible or not? Is it biblical? Is it Uh, biblical? Can the Bible support this view or not? And the answer is absolutely yes. Well, the rapture is right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Right. And uh, I think there's a a, a lot of reasons why it uh, is relatively new. But, you know, you could have said that to Martin Luther when he uh, began to preach salvation by grace through faith, which is the biblical concept of salvation. That's 1,500 years into the history of the church, and people say, that's too new to be true. Right. Or you could have said that to uh, Albert, uh, uh, what was his name? I can't even think now, but the fellow in the 19th century who began to offer invitations at the end of his services. And people said, well, that's just unbiblical. Nobody's ever heard of doing that. Yes. Uh, But let's get back to the point. The point is it's in the Bible. Yes. And when people talk about too new to be true, I think they just got to understand that, first of all, People didn't study Bible prophecy throughout most of, of church history because the Roman Catholic Church had a position called amillennialism. If you, if you differed with that position, whatever you wrote was burned and you were burned at the stake. And so people just didn't fool with it. Then when it got into the Reformation, people didn't really get into Bible prophecy in great detail either. It was only with the Puritans that they began to really study Bible prophecy. Only about four or five hundred years ago. And it's right about the Puritans. Matter of fact, now they say attribute those who are against the preacher view attribute it to Darby, and they say, well, he got it from a teenage girl named Mary MacDonald, uh, Margaret MacDonald, excuse me. And they're the ones that came up with the idea. But I've been reading this great book. It's called uh, Dispensational Before Darby by Dr. William Watson, and he's an expert on the Puritan writings from the 16, uh, 1500s and 1600s. And he has found all sorts of different Puritan writers who were espousing different aspects of the preacher view. For instance, uh, Joseph Mead, Increase Mather, Peter Giroux, Philip Daldridge, uh, John Gill, James McKnight, Thomas Scott, Morgan Edwards, William Witherby. The list goes on and on about people who were talking about the preacher rapture well before Darby came on the scene. Some of them were talking, a lot of them were talking about the fact that just the rapture was going to be an event separate from the second, second coming. coming. And some might have presented it uh, uh, three and a half years before, or yeah, four years, or five. And, but they, they began to realize that there really must be a separate coming of the Lord from the second coming. Because I find that those who disagree with the pre-trib rapture are post-trib rapturists who believe the rapture and the second coming are one and the same. And these writings from the Puritans clearly define there is two different, yes. a rapture but and a second coming. You see, coming. My, my question for them is how yeah. can the rapture and the second coming be one and the same? Because Jesus appears in the heavens in one, the other He comes to earth. So you're going to have to have a yo-yo rapture where you go up to meet the Lord in the sky, you're suddenly transformed, and you come right back down to earth. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and also if you have the rapture at that point, yes. all are translated from mortal to immortal. There are no mortals left to go in the millennium. Yes, yeah, you have no point. population for the millennium. So the only thing you can do at that point is allegorize the millennium. I mm-hmm. still like your mm-hmm. point that you made, though, that Daniel was told, Lord, I don't understand the prophecies you've given me. 
And God said, Daniel, they're not for you to understand. They're for you to write down. When Amen. the time comes to understand all end time Bible prophecy, it will be at that time. Jesus pulled this same thing on His disciples. They were used to Jewish theology about this coming king. They're going to have the kingdom and that kind of stuff. And one day He threw on to them in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. It was totally new. I can hear them. It's too new to be true. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, people have been proclaiming the imminent return of Jesus for hundreds of years. Could come any moment. Is His return really imminent? Well, I would definitely go to Matthew 24, verses 36, 42, 44, 50, and chapter 25, 13. Every instance of Jesus saying His return is like a thief. In other words, I don't expect a thief to come. If a thief announced, I'm coming to your house at 3 o'clock, I would be ready for him. I'd have my shotgun. I'd be all set. Yes. But when a thief comes, he sneaks in at a time you don't ex yeah. expect. Now, if the rapture and the return of Jesus was at the second coming, we would know exactly seven years to the day when Jesus would come. How would he come like a thief? Absolutely. He couldn't possibly. Plus he says, look out, be ready, keep your lights lit. You don't know when the bridegroom is coming. Absolutely. And so again and again, Jesus himself said that we wouldn't know when his return now, would be. The point you just made there is a really good one, and that is the uh, idea that we know from the book of Revelation that it's going to be exactly seven years of years of 360 days yes. from the time that that peace treaty is signed by the Antichrist with Israel until the second coming of Jesus. I mean, if you're around at that time, you can count the days. Exactly. Right. So when he keeps talking about the fact that you cannot know when I'm going to return, he's got to be talking about That's some other rapture. return, and it must be the rapture. Matthew exactly. 24, was it 2444? You do not know the day your Lord is coming. Mm -hmm. Yes, so. and that can be imminent. That all imminency means is that it's an event that can occur any moment, and that's true of the rapture. There's not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the right. rapture to occur. There may be prophecies that will be fulfilled before it occurs, like the establishment of Israel, or perhaps Psalm 83 war, maybe even the Gog and Magog. We don't know, but it doesn't have to. If if, it's, right. if the event is imminent, and the prophets that wrote about those events didn't know anything about the that's church. true. That's true. Okay. Well, one of the worst abuses of Bible prophecy, I think both of you would agree, is, is date setting. In fact, sometimes I, I get, I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm a Bible prophecy teacher because of the nonsense that goes on in date setting. I've always taken the position that we cannot know the date, but we can know the season of the Lord's return. And I've been accused of date setting for saying that. Is that date setting to say that you can know the season of the Lord? Uh, absolutely not. Matthew twenty four thirty two. Jesus said the uh, the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree knows that summer, a season is near. That's license for us to know the season. So then we got to decide what the fig tree is. And of course, I believe God uses the symbol of the fig tree as a, a stand-in for Israel. Hosea nine ten. I saw your forefathers as the first fruits on the fig tree. I believe Jesus is referring to the fig tree, and the the generation that sees it come back together is the generation that knows that summer, the and, season. And you're defining terminology. I, we have people write in and say, "Well, what is it? Is it fall or spring?" You're, you're saying that that's the season, but you're not talking season as a time of the year. Oh, no, you're talking not. an era or a time period. Right? Time period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's okay. a good way to say it. And, and, and the Bible gives us signs. I mean, over and over it tells us here are signs we are to watch for. For example, what is your favorite verse in the New Testament? Hebrews 10.25, encourage each other and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now look, it, it later on identifies that day, not as Sunday, but it identifies that day as the day of judgment that's coming. Yes. It says you can identify it. 
That, that means you can look out and you can say, you see this, you see that, you see that. Hey, this is about to happen, right? Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. And it says you can see yes. certain things. So yes. they're, they're and Jesus Himself said, when you see all these things begin to happen, Luke 21, know that I'm right at the door of heaven. I'm Amen. ready to come. Amen. Mm-hmm. Today would be good. Well, he even gave us what those things were in Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13. Absolutely. He said there would be false prophets, there would be wars, there would be plagues, yes. there would be fearful signs in the sky, there would be different events like especially Christian persecution. So he told us what to look out for and that they would come more frequently and more intensely the closer we're getting to Jesus Christ. Look at the earthquakes as one of the examples. Yeah. We are They are definitely increasing in frequency and intensity. So we know that Jesus is coming soon. We're in, as you said, the season. We're, we are in the season. Well, the season. what would you consider to be the single most important sign that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. The regathering and the reinstitution of the nation of Israel. How about you, Nathan? Well, I used to think that, but then I thought of uh, after hearing Dr. Ron Rhodes uh, start using the word convergence, I was like, that's it, convergence. In other words, not just one sign like Israel, which I think is the super sign, yeah, that but would be the all most these different signs coming together at once makes a point. sign in and of itself. Absolutely. And that's very yeah. true. But for, for the first time in history, all the signs are coming together. Yeah, but none of, none of them were individually relevant until we until had the Israel. Israel in place. That's right. Then all the rest of them uh, heap to that one, gather to it, and we have all of them together. And of course the reason for that is all of end time Bible prophecy focus is up on Israel. talks yes. about the regathering of the people, the reestablishment of the state, the, uh, the reclamation of the land, the uh, revival of the language, uh, uh, the, re, uh, the uh, reoccupation of the city of Jerusalem. I mean it just goes on and on. It focuses on Israel. And one of the very last prophecies it mentions is that all the nations of the world will come together against Israel. Absolutely. And what are we seeing right now? Absolutely. And all Including of signs, the United States of America. All of these signs are signs of the second coming. Yeah. And right. we see them coming together. We're in this tight little squeeze between the rapture and the beginning. Well, that's of a very period. good point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Tim LaHaye once told me, he said that he and his wife were walking through a shopping center and she said, look around, what do you see that's different? He said it was in September. And he looked around and said, I don't see anything different. She said, Look again. And he looked again. He said, Well, they're putting up Christmas decorations everywhere. And she said, What's that a sign of? He said, Christmas. He said, Yeah. And it also is a sign that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Amen. The signs were not pointing to Thanksgiving. But when you see those signs, you know Thanksgiving is around the corner. That's right. The signs are pointing to the tribulation, the second coming. But when you see them, you know the rapture is right around the corner. Today it'd be good. Well, the world keeps trying to settle the Middle East crisis with politics. Can the Middle East crisis be solved with politics, by negotiation, peace treaties, that sort of thing? No. Deals? No. Why not? It is a supernatural problem. Uh, it's it a is, spiritual problem. It is supernatural. It's a spiritual problem. And it's, it's going to be solved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when He returns. It is the oldest family feud on the history of the planet. Thousands of years. And it... it Somebody born in Washington, raised at Harvard, and that kind of stuff's not going to come up with some smart <laughs> plan to fix this. It's got to be fixed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, and yet we continue people. to put all this effort into the politics of yeah. it. And money. Yes. Yes. How about you, Nathan? Well, we know that the peace process is going to fail because biblically we know there's certain, like we mentioned earlier, end time wars coming. The Psalm 83 war, the Gog and Magog war, wars between Islamic nations and Israel. So, we might get a two-state solution, which would be a huge disaster. We might see all these things happening, but we know that biblically everything is going to fail or at least to be super temporary yeah. because there's big wars coming up. Okay. 
Do you see any prophetic significance to the growing worldwide persecution of Christians? Well, I think Jesus, one of those signs we talked about that shows that we're in the season, Luke gave us in 21... um, Verse 12, Jesus did, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute mm-hmm. you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be up for kings and governors because of my name. And again and again, Jesus said that we would be persecuted for following him. And we are seeing that growing, especially with ISIS marching around the Middle East and killing Christians. We're seeing persecution in the United States against bakers and florists and clerks. Yes. It will increase because Satan hates the Christian. And there was a point made uh, once that really struck me is that. No one's persecuting the Muslims. No one's persecuting the Buddhists. They're only persecuting the the Christians. That's a spiritual thing. And I think it's a proof that the Bible is true to the Word because only Christianity is persecuted. Satan is focused on Christianity. Yes. Yes. He wants it destroyed. And I would add this. Good points, Nathan. uh, Nathan, I'm sorry. Uh, There is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Yes. And so Satan knows he has a short time left and he wants to discredit that one well, name. Well, that's a good point you just made because Satan knows Bible prophecy. It says in the book of Revelation <coughs> when he's cast down to earth he knows his time is short. Yes. And he knows his time is short and he, he is doing everything he can to destroy both Christians and Jews. Because Absolutely. another thing that's happening on the world scene is tremendous increase in anti-Semitism. Oh, it's like yes. just before the Holocaust. I think that has prophetic significance. It's huge. God is using that as a tool to call the nation of Israel back into the yes, land of Israel. Yes. It's a, an incentive for them to go back. And He said they would come back. And they are going back. And they're going to go back. <laughs> and the persecution of the Jews is one of the three main purposes of the tribulation. God is trying to get the Jews on their knees to give their lives to Jesus Christ along mm-hmm. with to... Uh, get rid of evil, to punish evil and bring His wrath. And then of course the Jesus Christ to usher in His kingdom. So it's filling all this anti-Semitism right into God's plan. Absolutely. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. I want to thank our special guest Gary Fisher for being with us and sharing his insights. And Gary, tell our viewers how they can get in touch with your ministry. Thank you Dave. Lionofjudahministry.org Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us next week, the Lord willing. Till then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The Christ in Prophecy Study Guide is one of the most popular and valuable publications that Dr. David Reagan has ever written, and it's filled with information and tools to help you understand Bible prophecy. This guide is used worldwide and is a product of over seven years of intensive study by Dr. Reagan. Using this guide will build your faith and strengthen your interest in Bible prophecy as you discover the 109 prophecies that foretold very specific facts about the birth and life of Jesus Christ. As you discover how faithful God is in keeping His promises in the past, it will help you look forward with excitement to the fulfillment of over 500 prophecies about Jesus' second coming. Clear, logical charts and illustrations like this one about the Jewish feasts make learning the facts and meaning of the scriptures a joy. The Christ and Prophecy Study Guide also contains two tools that you will use over and over. The Topical Index allows you to find important scriptures related to every significant theme found in scripture, and the Scripture Index will direct you to every page of the guide that pertains to the scripture that you are studying. You can get your copy of the Christ and Prophecy Study Guide for a gift of $20 or more, and that includes the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or order online at landlion.com. 
Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 